passage we're going to look at today is one of those uh, kind of, I, I would call it an obscure passage. It's, uh, it's not very well known. I'm, I would say, I, I don't know, I, I don't know your experiences in church and with preaching, but I would say you've probably never heard a sermon out of this passage. It's rare, it's uh, not well known, but I think these passages like this are, are some of the best passages that preachers can preach because uh, you don't know them real well. They're not famous. It's not something you've heard before. Uh, and this is a simple story uh, that we're going to look at today uh, of Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on their first mission trip. He's going to send them out on their own for the very first time. They've been with him, around him, uh, letting him lead the way and, and, and doing all the work, and now he kind of lets them go out on their own and do their own thing uh, for, for the first time. And what this passage will show us today is the importance of doing God's work in God's way. And that's the title of the sermon today, God's Work in God's Way. Uh, so let's stand together, and I want to read this passage, 10 verses to us today. And the, and the key is, it matters to God how his work is done. It's not just that we do his work, it matters how we do his work. And this is a good passage today for me as a pastor, for us as a church, that we make sure that we're doing God's work in God's way. Uh, so let me read these verses to you, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into, in, into any city of, of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go... Th- rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received and freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purse, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. These few verses here teach us, again, that it matters to God how we do his work. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for your word and that it doesn't just show us what to believe. It doesn't just tell us how to behave, but it tells us exactly how you want us to do your work. We're not left on our own to do things our own way. We're not left to to wing it. God, I thank you that you have given us detailed instructions on how to do your work. And I pray, God, that for us as a church, that we would take this passage and apply it and say, are we doing God's work in God's way? And for each individual in here, we should be doing your work. But God, help us to see that it's not just that we do your work, but it's how we do it. So teach us from this today and help me, God, as I do my best to present these truths in a way that everyone can understand. May you do it by the power of your spirit. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Kind of a, you can be seated, a kind of a, a different question than what I would usually ask. And I don't know if you guys will have any answers to this or not, but it's a good question. What do you think is the most popular song that is played at funerals? Nobody give me an answer there. Just think about it. What would you say is the most popular song that is played at funerals? 
I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of different funeral homes, worked with a lot of different funeral directors, and I've heard a lot of different funeral songs. And when I heard that question, I thought in my head, you know, here's, here's some, th- some songs that I've heard a lot of that would be popular at a funeral. People have funerals, they'll come to me and say, what songs do we think we should sing? And I have a list of, of ready of songs that are good for funerals. And I read this this week, that there was a poll taken from funeral directors all across America, and the number one song that is sang at funerals is... I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. I Did It My Way. A song, again, made famous by Frank Sinatra in the early uh, or the late 60s. And it's a song, get this, played at funerals, a song of defiance. A song that is, is basically saying, don't let anybody tell you what to do or how to live. You live your life how you want to live it, and you answer to nobody. So at the end of your life, you can have that song played at your funeral and tell everybody there, I did it my way. That's the most popular song at funerals. And this is a a motto that is is, uh, uh, going across America today. This could be the national anthem of Americans. I'm going to do things my way. I mean, you you think about it. We want to do things our way. We, We have slogans, it's my way or the... The highway, I mean, that, that's how a lot of people think. That's a, we're going to do it my way and nobody else's. You go to Burger King and what do they tell you? You can have it your way. It's not Burger King's way, it's your way. That's the motto of Americans. It's, it's I'll live how I want and nobody can tell me what to do. My kids like it. I, I want to do it my way. I want to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. I like to do things my way. We all do. And this is happening in churches today. Whole denominations are doing church their way. You can look at denominations across the board and say, this church, how do they do church the way they want to do church? This church doing church how they want to do church. And then there's new churches being planted and started all over America today. And they say, we're doing church the new way. You know what they're saying? We're doing church how I want to do church, my way. There's pastors in churches today that they'll stand up in a pulpit and they'll say, it's my way or the highway. We're going to do church my way. There's people in churches today that when things don't go their way, they pack their bags up and they leave and they go to another church until they find a church that's going to do it their way. Churches today are doing it every way but God's way. The funeral for some churches when they close their doors and it's over, for some churches will be, I did it my way. And I believe here in the Bible that the Bible is not just our guide to, how, to what we believe or what we do and how we're to behave and live our lives, but I believe the Bible is sufficient to tell us how to do church, how to do God's work. I believe God doesn't just leave it up to us to do it however we feel like doing it. I believe it matters to God how His work is done. And it's not up to us. We're not free to do it however we want to do it. It's not like the book of Judges where we can come into church and do it. Well, it's right in our own eyes. How we want to do things. It's not my way or the highway. It's God's way or the highway. We must do God's work in God's way. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has selected his 12 disciples. We saw that a couple weeks ago in the first four verses. And he, and he named them. Here they are, all 12 of them. He, he's teaching them. He's training them. He's going to, they're going to spend three years with Jesus. And now, in verse 5, he's going to send them out. 
He's going to thrust them out on their own. He's taught them. He's trained them. He's, he's given them uh, basically a seminary education in a, in a short amount of time. And now here, for the very first time, he throws them out like seed and says, you guys go out and do what I've been doing. And he doesn't send them out and say, do whatever you want to do. Do what feels, what feels right. Do it your way, Peter. No, and you do it your way, John. And, and you can do it however you want to do it. Just, just do it your way. That would be like me sending my kids out. Imagine me. I'm going to have a 16-year-old in a couple of years. And I give her the keys to my car. And I'm going to send her out on her own. I've taught you. I've trained you. There you go, Gracie. <laughs> do it however you want to do it. You know? Get on your phone if you want to get on your phone. Drive however you want to drive. When I hand her the keys to the car to go out and drive on her own, I'm going to give her specific instructions. Here's how you do it. Do not wave at any boys. <laughs> Keep your eyes straight ahead at all times. Keep your phone in the back seat. I'm going to give her specific instructions. I'm going to send her out and say, do whatever you want to do, Gracie. That's dangerous. So Jesus doesn't send his disciples out and say, do it however you want to do it. Do my work in your way. Go out and do what's popular. Go out and, and uh, be successful. Go out and do it however you want to do it. No, Jesus here tells them detailed instructions. Here's not just what to do, but here's how you are to do it. Again, we see here the main thrust of this passage is it matters to God not just that we do His work, but how we do His work. So let's see it today. This is going to be good for our church. I believe if you do God's work in God's way, you'll have God's blessing. So we need to look at this as a church and say, are we? I'm not talking about other churches. This church, are we, am I, are you doing God's work in God's way? We need to see this today. So let's look at it. And most of you are used to a, a three-point sermon, but I'm going to give you four points today. So buckle up, hang in tight. We're going to be here for a while. I told my boys that this morning. They said, you got three points today? I said, no, I got four. They said, oh, no. <laughs> but I want to show you how to do God's work in God's way. So let's look at the first point. And I want to see this in, in verses 5 through 7. I want to show you the priority of God's work. The priority, God's work and God's way must have, get this, God's work and God's way must have God's priorities. It's not my priorities, it's not what I want to do, it's not what I want to be at the top of the list. God's work done in God's way will have God's priority. And you see that at the start, he, he doesn't send them out to do a thousand things, does he? You'll see this, he sends them out to do one thing. It's not a thousand things, it's one thing. Watch what he says. Let's look at it. He, he's sending them out. Verse 5, the 12 Jesus sent forth and he commanded them. They were commanded. This is an order he gives them. This is a, uh, like a commander giving a, an order to a soldier. Here is what you're going to go do. This is not optional. They, they have no option to look at him and say, eh, I don't want to do that. A commander of Jesus looking at the, the soldiers, the disciples, and commanding them, ordering them, here's what you're going to do. These men will be under his authority. And what does he tell them to do? Look what it says, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth, and he commanded them, saying, go. Go out. Mark says that he sends them out two by two. 
that there's going to be six teams of two. Uh, if you look at the, the, the list of the disciples here, he lists them in two. It's, it's their partnership. This is who they go out with. Look at the verses. Verse 2, now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They went together. The last guy you want to go with is Judas. Poor guy that had to go with Judas. But they, they went together two by two, and they, he sent them out all over Galilee, all of the towns and the villages. He didn't send them out 12 together. He sent them out in six groups of, of two. Why did he put them together? Why did he send them out in, in 12 groups of one? Because it's dangerous to do ministry alone. It's dangerous to do life alone. I couldn't imagine trying to do ministry and live life without my wife. Didn't, isn't that what, what happened in the garden very early on when God looked at Adam and said it's not good for him to be alone? These guys needed each other. They needed companionship. They needed encouragement. They needed accountability. They need each other. You can't do life alone. People that are trying to do, and this isn't in my notes, this isn't something I was going to talk about, but people who try to do, live the Christian life alone without the church, it's dangerous. God gives us the church because we need each other. He gave them each other and sends them out. And he gives them instructions. Look here, he says, go, and where do they go? Don't go, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't go into any city of the Samaritans. Don't go to those people. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the half-breed Gentile and Jew together, Samaritans. Don't go to them. Not now, not yet. Don't go out that far. Here's your boundaries. Here's as far as you can go. Don't cross the boundary into the Gentile nations and into the Samaritan nations. You stay with the lost sheep of Israel, the Jews. Stay with this one group of people for right now. We'll go there later, but for right now in this mission at this time, these are your people. Don't go beyond that. Okay, he's, he's giving them boundaries, restrictions. Don't go past this line. He gave them a line, don't cross it. I could give you the reasons why. For one, the Gentiles and Samaritans wasn't ready for this, and neither was the disciples. Two, the Jews are the first on God's list. They're God's covenant people. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It goes to the Jews first. Jesus came to his people first. This is an obviously a command just for them. We can apply this in, in a very clear way. God sends his people to do his work with a specific people. It's not my job to pastor every church in America. God has given me a specific church to pastor. These are the people he sends me to. Get this. It's not my job to correct everybody's theology on Facebook. My job is to pastor the people that God has given me. Don't try to be everything to everybody. Be specific to the people that God has sent you to. Don't cross that line. I'm not the voice of Christianity. I'm the pastor of West End Baptist Church. One group, one people, focus your time there. There's a target to hit. God said, pastor, this church. He told them, go after these people. Don't be like a shotgun and spray out everywhere to everybody. Be like a rifle and hit one group of people that God sends you to. That's what he tells them here. One, one place. God gives them focus here. And what are they to go and do? Watch this. Verse 6, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 7, and as you go. Here's what you're to do. Here's the priority. 
As you go, sing. To say that, let me just, just, just I, I do this a lot. Just want to make sure you guys see what the Bible says compared to what the way churches are doing things today. As you go, sing. It doesn't say sing. It doesn't say go and fellowship. It doesn't say go and serve. It doesn't say go and make friends. It doesn't say go and argue with people. It doesn't say go and, and debate people. It says go and preach. That is the priority here. Go out and publicly herald the message of the gospel. Be, go and be the voice of God in that area that you're in. Go and say. And here's the message. He doesn't just tell them the work. He tells them the way. Here's the message. Say, here's a sermon title. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's the message. We don't even get to decide what we say. When I open my mouth as a preacher, God's words better come out and not Josh's words. He gives us what to say. And he tells them, here's your message. Go and preach. The kingdom is at hand. And when he says the kingdom, he's telling them, here's how to go. Go out and tell them how to be saved. Go out and tell them how to get to heaven. Go out and tell them, here's how you enter into the kingdom. Here's how you can have your sins forgiven. Go out and preach the gospel wherever it is you go. Matthew 3, 2 says that John the Baptist came and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's telling people how to get to heaven, how the doors of the kingdom are open. And the only way that you can enter is by putting your faith in the king, Jesus Christ, and repenting from all the other ways you were living. You must have your faith in Jesus to enter and turn your back on the world. He's telling them how to be saved. The message is to, to preach the gospel. It is near. It is here. It's in front of you. It shows again the priority of preaching. I like that. You guys may not like it. You may say, Josh, I needed something besides you telling me that preaching is a good thing. I'm not telling you preaching is a good thing. I'm telling you preaching is the main thing in the church. If you want to do God's work in God's way, you're going to be preaching the gospel to the world. He says here, go and preach. Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Does it not? That's what it says. It's not, it's not even limiting us anymore. There's not a line anymore for these disciples. It's now, cross that line. Go to the Gentiles. Cross that line. Go to the Samaritans. Make sure the whole world knows how to be saved now. Timothy, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, the last words that he would tell Timothy was not, sing a song. Preach the word, he said. Be instant in season and out of season. There's only two times to preach the word. When it's popular and when it's not. Preach it at all times. This is the priority of the church. It's a command. It's not optional. I believe that the priority of the church, priority number one ought to be to preach. Priority number two ought to be to preach. <laughs> priority number three in the church ought to be to preach. I'm going to give you one more. Let's go, let's go on down one more time. Priority number four in the church Ought to be to preach. I might even go one more. You want to go one more? Priority number five in the church? To preach. And then everything else falls below that. The church will only rise as high as the preaching of the church. God's work done in God's way will have God's priority. If preaching ever becomes secondary... If anything ever comes before the preaching of the word, where you take something down here and place it as a priority above the preaching of the word, you are doing God's, you're not doing God's work in God's way. 
And when preaching becomes primary, it comes with God's power. You see this? Watch with me. And as they go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the very next verse, verse 8, says, and as you preach, power will come with it. And that's the second thing. God's work done in God's way will have God's power. First of all, God's work done in God's way will have God's priority. And here, God's work done in God's way will come with God's power. You see what he says there? When you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. As they went in the towns and villages all over Galilee, they would preach the message. People would hear and they'd say, why should I listen to you? Why should I repent when my life is fine? I'm doing it my way. Why should I repent and do it Jesus' way? Why should I listen to you guys? Who do you think you are? How would they know that these guys are from God? Sending them out and they go out and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same sermon over and over. Here's how you get in. And people in the crowd are saying, who do you guys think you are? And the confirmation was, as they preached, they had power. They healed the sick. They cleansed the lepers. They raised the dead. And they cast out demons. The exact miracles Jesus performed, they are now performing. He gave them power. And understand this, the power only comes with the preaching. They go hand in hand. The miracles only come with the message. If they had went out and changed the message, they wouldn't have the miracles. If they went out and quit preaching, they wouldn't have the power. If they went out and said, you know what, I, I, think, I think we're going to just sing today. I think we're just going to fellowship today. I think we're just going to serve today. I think we're just going to dig wells today. I don't think we're going to preach anymore. We're going to bring preaching down a notch. Then they lose all the power that comes with it. So if you want, if you want to do God's work in God's way and have God's power, you must have God's priority. They go hand in hand. That's what he's saying here. As a confirmation of their message and of their preaching, God gave them power to do miracles. For them, it was like a diploma on the wall. If I walk into a doctor's office and he tells me to take, a me take medicine and I need surgery or you know, any kind of advice that a doctor would give you, I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, why should I listen to you? And he's going to point to his diploma on the wall that is confirmation that he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, okay, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> if there's no diploma on the wall, <laughs> I'm not going to do what he says. These guys would tell these people what to do, and they'd say, Where, why should I listen? And they'd point to the healing, the raising, and the casting out of demons. And these people would say, okay, I better believe you. The power came from the preaching. The miracles came from the message. If you preach, God always backs up his word with power. Again, Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who will believe. 
You say, do we have that power today? No, we don't have the confirming power. I've already got confirmation in his word that everything that they said is true. I don't need these miracles today, but God's word does today. And I want to apply this to us. God's word, God's preaching always comes with power today. It's true today. As, you, as we preach, we have one message, we have one book, we have one gospel, and as we open it up, there is no doubt in my mind that even today it comes with the power of God behind it. We will see sin-sick people healed. We will see the cleansing of spiritual lepers. We will see the raising of the spiritual dead. We will see the casting out of the demonic in, in people's lives, the evil and sin in people's lives as they repent and turn from it. That's the power of the word of God. We'll see drug addicts put behind their drugs. We'll see alcoholics lay aside the bottle. We'll see homosexuals turn to a natural lifestyle. We will see fathers become the men that they ought to become. We'll see men become the husbands they ought to be. We'll see mothers and wives become virtuous women like Proverbs 31. We will see families strengthened. We will see lives changed. We will see marriages repaired. We'll see preachers called as the word goes out. It's not the man that is doing it. It's the message that is performing the miracles in the lives of the people in the pews. God always brings power with his preaching. It's not the man. It's not the people. It's open up the book and let it go. And it will be, do powerful things amongst the people. It always comes with power. God always backs up His Word with power. An old theologian said that the Bible is like a line. You don't have to defend the line. You just let it loose and let it roar. Just open up the book and it will accomplish that which God Sets it out to do. God's preaching always comes with God's power. It will accomplish what God sets it out to do. You throw the seed, you water the seed, and who gets the increase? God does. This is the seed. We trust this book to accomplish exactly what the author set it out to do. Nothing fancy, nothing popular. Just open up the book and preach the word, and God brings great power with it. You see dead churches today? Why are they dead? New churches today all trying to bring new popular, new things in, trying to bring life into the church. The only thing that can bring life into a dead church is open up the book and let it roar. It's the only thing. I've said this before here, but when I, when I came to this church, I was talking to a guy out in town the other day. He said, congratulations on, on staying at that church for nine years. I said, is that an accomplishment? He said, I know the condition of the church when you came. He said, what did you do? <laughs> did you try this? Did you try that? I said, I, I did what I was told to do. Not by the trustees and not by the deacons, but by the word of God. I've just opened up the book. And let the book do the work that God sets it out to do. And we have miraculously. You say, have you raised the dead here? Spiritual dead. 
Yeah, there's been people walk in here that they are spiritually lost and dead in their trespasses and their sins. And we open up the word and it wasn't what I said or what I did or the ministries that we've done. The, the word did it all. And they walk out of here alive spiritually. We've had broken marriages walk into this church and it wasn't me. I'm not a great counselor. I can barely hold my own marriage together. Let alone somebody else's. What holds my marriage together? The Word of God. What brings broken marriages together? The Word of God. That's the power of God's Word. Churches today need to do God's work and God's way by opening up the Bible and preaching the Word. You say, people won't listen today. In season and out of season. Preach the Word. There'll be power in it. You say, it might not happen like that. No. When you throw out a seed, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a prolific farmer. <laughs> you throw out seed, is it going to come up like that? You wait seasons upon seasons upon seasons. And you trust as you throw it out and as you water, eventually it'll come up. You preach the word Sunday morning. You preach the word Sunday night. You preach the word Wednesday night. And how many weeks a year do you do it? 52 weeks out of the year you preach the word. Over and over and over. And it starts to bring fruit into the lives of the people in the church. Over and over and over. There are seasons when it's a drought. There are seasons when there's great fruit. And when there's a drought, what do you do, Josh? Preach the word. And when there's fruitful seasons, what do you do? Preach the word in season and out of season. When people love it and when people hate it. When people won't show up and when they show up in droves. What do you do? Preach the word. The word will accomplish that which God has set it out to do. God's work done in God's way will have God's power. And with that power comes point number three. Not only God's work done in God's way will have God's priority, and God's work done in God's way will have God's power, but God's work done in God's way will have God's provision. Look at the next verse. I'm not making this stuff up. You guys want to learn. Almost nothing I say comes from, comes from me. Look at the first word of verse 9. Provide. Who's going to provide for these guys when they go out? Who's going to, where's the provision going to come from? Look what he says. I like this. The first thing he says is, don't charge for your work. Look at the end of verse 8. Freely you have received, freely you give. Don't you charge a dime for what you're going to go out and do. Can you imagine what these guys could have made if they went out and they're raising the dead and casting out demons and, and, they're, and they're healing the sick? There was no doctors in that time. There was no medicine in that time. And they could go out and they could charge anything they wanted to heal people. They could have made a fortune on people. You know, if you got that kind of power, they could have said, you know what, that kid's got a fever. Eh, going to need a little bit of this if you want that fever going. They could have said, oh, you want your loved one brought back from the dead? It's going to cost a little bit more. You want that demon cast out? <laughs> well, you're going to have to open up that pocketbook. They could have made a fortune in that time if they wanted to. And Jesus here says, when you go, don't you charge a dime for what you are doing. Freely you have received, so when you go out, freely you give it. I love that. 
It shows that what we offer as preachers is the offer of free grace. The gospel is free. You don't have to pay a dime for it. If you want to be saved, if you want your sins forgiven, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to pay me a dime. You don't have to give the church a dime. There's not any amount of money that you have to pay to be saved. It's a free offer. There's no entrance fee to the kingdom. There's no price tag on the gospel. It was free to them, and it remains free today. Don't you charge a dime for what you're doing. I don't want you to take a penny from somebody. You're going to raise the dead, and somebody's going to walk up to you and say, oh, here's some money. You're going to heal the sick, and they're going to say, here's some money. Don't you charge a dime for it. And watch this. And provide neither gold. <laughs> this is, don't charge a dime, and don't take any money with you. Look at this. Don't bring gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses. And then he says, I thought this was funny, don't even bring a purse with you. A money pouch that they would have or a backpack that they would have, don't you even bring what you'd keep your money in. Don't bring a, the script for your journey is your backpack. Don't bring two coats, only bring one. Don't bring two pairs of shoes, only bring one. Don't bring two staves. That's what the word staves is. And don't bring two staves. Only bring one. Only bring one. Travel a lot. Don't go back to your house and bring everything you have with you. Don't bring your money. Don't bring your clothes. Don't bring your shoes. Only one walking stick is all you need. He's sending them out to all these towns and villages in Galilee with one walking stick, one pair of shoes. Not even a backpack. Just go. No excess baggage. Leave, it, leave what you don't need behind. So here's the question. If we aren't to charge anything, and if we aren't to take anything, then how in the world are we going to live? We don't charge anything, so no money is going to be coming in. We don't bring any money with us, so we're poor. We have nothing. How in the world will we survive weeks, maybe even months, without anything but a stick in our hand? This here is the great lesson these guys will learn on trust. God's work done in God's way will always have God's provision. Jesus says here, look what he says. For the workman, I love that word workman. I got so stuck on that word workman this week that I thought I was going to preach a whole sermon on what workman meant. Because there are people that will say, I've heard it, maybe you've heard it, that a preacher ought to go get a real job. Or the preacher only works one day a week. The preacher's never had a real job in his life. And I don't have to defend myself and how hard I work and what I do here, I'll never do it. I'll let my work defend itself. But I will defend what the Word of God says. And Jesus calls what these preachers are going to do work. He says it there, for the workman. And I went and looked up the word workman in the, in the Greek, and you know what it means? It's, it's a field laborer. Somebody who gets out into the fields and works hard with their hands. 
It's somebody, it's not somebody who's, who's sitting by and, and doing nothing and, and, and just taking it easy like some people think preachers do. Just, you know, they, don't, they don't do nothing. They sit in their office and drink coffee all the time. I do drink coffee, but that's not all I do. Yeah, it is really, really, I do most of that. But this word workman means they put the work into what they do. Jesus called them workmen. Paul says, this is a sidebar, don't muzzle the ox. So there he compares what the preachers do to ox, pulling machinery around fields. Do you think the ox is lazy? And then he goes on to say, Paul says, study to show thyself approved a workman. Same word, a field laborer. Paul goes on to say that preachers that work well are worthy of double honor. So repeatedly, Jesus calls, get this, preaching a real job. Paul calls preaching repeatedly a real job. So preaching must be a real job to them. And Jesus says these workmen are worthy of their meat, are worthy of what they'll be given. Jesus won't let his men go without. He will take care of his people. He will provide. And I love this. That's a lesson in trust. One of the great lessons of life is to learn to trust God. I think it's one of the great lessons, and I, and I know you guys may not care about this, but one of the, the very first lessons I had to learn was when I was sent out from pound to go to seminary, and I didn't have a job. We had no jobs. Steph didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. We, we, we moved there and probably had enough money in the bank to last me a month. I had people in Pound that said, he'll be back in a month. I stood up in the pulpit the last Sunday before I left Pound, and I said, I don't know how we're going to make it. God has sent us away, and we're leaving, and I, don't, I may be back in a month. I don't know, but I'm trusting God here. And we set out, and I, I remember going to my first seminary class, and I talked to the, the president of the seminary. He said, Josh, is there anything we can pray for you about? I said, we're running out of money. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to make it. I think one of the main jobs of a seminary is to keep preachers poor. <laughs> so they can learn to trust God. That seminary president prayed with me. Me and Steph prayed. I had my family praying. The church back home was praying. And I was able to come back to pound three years later and say, here I am. Not because of anything I did or anything I am, but God provided for me. And why is that? Because God's work done in God's way will always have God's provision. It always will. You say, well, they, how is that going to be taken care of? Look how God provides for his people here. This, this is a great point. He says in verse 11, And whatsoever city or town you shall enter into, you're going to go into a town. Inquire who, it, who in it is worthy. That word worthy is who's acceptable. Find somebody who will welcome you. Find somebody who opens up their door for you. Find somebody who will let you stay in their home. Find somebody who will, who will allow you in. Who's going to sit there and say, oh, we're so glad you're here preaching the gospel to us. And when you get there, look what he says. There will be people waiting for you there that will let you in. They will. And you go in and you stay there the entire time. And that family, those people, will provide for your every need. Those people that you go to preach to that love you and welcome you with open arms, they will care for you. They will give you food. They don't give you money. They'll give you food. They'll give you a 
roof over your head. They will meet every need that you have. God will use his people to meet the needs of his men. There's great application for this. God will use his people to provide for his men. They will welcome, they will open their arms, and they will meet every need that he has. I didn't say that they will keep him in poverty. I didn't say that they would give him plenty. I said that they would provide for every need that he has. That's where preachers should be. That God uses his people to provide for his men. Not to give them plenty, which means they get rich off of it. and have, The Bible calls it filthy lucre. That they're just taking from the people. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I need nicer cars. I need a nicer house. I need this and I need that. No, it's not to have plenty. But the church also shouldn't keep a man in poverty. But the church should provide. God uses his people to provide for his men. That's the way it was then. That's the way it has always been. And God, I, I like this, God provides for his men and he blesses the people that do it. And when he says, and when you come into that house and they are going to take care of you and they're going to meet your needs in verse 12 and they're going to be good to you and they're going to give you food and they're going to give you shelter and they're going to meet every need that you have. The whole time you're there, until you leave, they're, they're, they're basically your family. This is so good. He said, when you walk into that house, you salute it. I don't know if that's what they did or not, but they, that's, that's, I see the word salute, and that's how I see it. You salute that house, and if that house is worthy, then you let your peace come upon it. You say, what does that mean? When God's people take care of God's man, they have God's blessing. When they take care of him, and that's what he says, salute them, greet them. And bless them. That you will stand up in front of those people in that house. And you will have God's shalom. The Greek word peace, shalom. Upon them. That you can stand up and under the authority of God himself. You can look out over those people and you can say. God's peace be upon you. You have taken care of God's disciples. And because of your generosity and care. God will bless you abundantly. That's amazing to me. God provides for his men through his people and then blesses them for it. That's an amazing truth. God's work done in God's way will have God's provision for the preachers. And God's work done in God's way will have God's peace for the people who provide. What truth there is. It's amazing. Watch this. Turn with me to Luke 22. You guys might be getting tired of this. I, I don't know. Luke 22, verse 35. Obviously, this is towards the end of Luke, towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And it's amazing. Verse 35. Is the best verse I found this week. He says in verse 35, Luke 22, verse 35. You guys can mark this, highlight it, put a star beside it. He said, and he said unto them, when I sent you, you see this, without purse, without scrip, 
without shoes, did you lack anything at all? Talking about this trip. When I sent you out on your own and told you not to take anything at all with you, did you ever lack anything? Did you ever lack food? Did you ever lack shelter? Did you ever lack care? Was there ever a time that you ever went without? And look at the answer. And they said, nothing. Why is that? Because God's work and God's way will always have God's provision. He will always take care. And this is good for us too. He said, this is talking about how you treat a preacher. <laughs> Partly. But this lesson in trust is something every single one of us can learn. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you do God's work in God's way, you will always have God's provision. That's how God works. If you're going to, if you're going to seek him first and, and live for him, he will always take care of you. I'm not saying you'll be prosperous, I'm not, but you won't be in poverty. He will meet every need that you have. You'll have a roof over your head and, and food to, to feed your family. He will take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. You just do God's work in God's way, and God will always provide for his people. He's a good father. He will provide. I like this. Back to Luke 22. Because then he says in verse 36, then he said unto them, but now, it changes. That lesson here in Matthew 10 was just a, a lesson he wanted to teach them to trust. Go out without anything, charge nothing. I want you to learn to trust me for a month or two. That's something some of us have never learned. Go out and learn to trust me. And now he says, verse 36, then he said unto them, but now... He that has a purse, let him take it. And likewise a scrip. And he that has no sword, let him sell his garment and go buy a sword. Now you can take some stuff. I just wanted you to learn to trust me at that time. Because I'm going to be leaving some, at some point in Jesus. And he will. He'll ascend. He's going to leave them behind and tell them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they're going to go out and have some tough times. So they needed to learn to trust him here. If they would ever learn to trust him later. It's the same thing in our lives today. We must learn to trust Him now. Because there will be lean times. And you've got to learn to trust Him in the, not just in the prosperous times, but in the impoverished times. When it's hard, when you don't know when the next bite's going to come or the next paycheck's going to come, you've got to keep doing God's work in God's way and He will always provide. Back to Matthew 10 and we'll close. God's work done in God's way will always have God's priority. God's work done in God's way will always have God's power. God's work done in God's way will have God's provision. And the last point is God's work done in God's way will ultimately bring God's punishment. You say, what does that mean? Look, look at it with me. It says some people will reject. So when you come into a house, verse 12, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Here's a, a, a reminder, a 
Now, some places will welcome these men. Some places will open their arms and open their house and open their kitchens and, and bring them in and say, stay with us and we'll meet every need that you have. You'll be loved. You'll be popular. They might even name their babies after you. I mean, there's some people that will love you so much that they got little baby Josh's. You're their favorite person in the whole world. They love their preacher. And for them, God's peace and God's blessing and God's salute will be upon them. But then there's another group that will reject you. They won't welcome you. They won't listen to you. They'll shut their door in your face and run you off. And they won't name their kids after you. They'll name their dogs after you. You're going to their house, there'll be a little rabid dog running around. you say, what's that? Oh, it's just Josh. Who <laughs> we named our dog after you? There's some people that treat you like dirt. I was talking to a guy the other day at a basketball game. He, he was talking about the church and, and, and me. He said, he said I, I, I've talked to some people. And he said, You've got a, you're well-respected in the community. And my, my response to him was, you ain't talked to the right people. <laughs> there's going to be some people that like you. This is good. It, there's going to be some people that will welcome you with open arms. There's going to be some people that will open their Bibles and listen to every word you say. There's going to be some people that sit on the front pew on the, on the, on the edges of their seat saying, preach to me. There's going to be some people that their family is going to take care of you. There's going to be some people that are just going to love everything about you as you go. But on the other hand, there'll be some people that hate your guts. This is what you're going to run into as you go out there. There will be some people that can't stand you. That they'll treat you like dirt. How do we react to those people? Because God's work must be done in God's way. How do we react to people who hate us? <laughs> what would you do if you walked up to a house and they shut the door in your face? What would you do if you stood up in front of a bunch of people and they started throwing things at you? I mean, I've heard of preachers like George Whitfield. They went out to, to preach and there were some people that loved him and, and people got saved and it was a, an amazing ministry. But other times there were people throwing eggs at him. I heard the story one time that he was riding back after preaching. You guys may have heard me say this before. And he was praying, God, nobody hated me today. <laughs> Everybody loved me and received, it, received the word with, with joy. It was, it was great. Am I doing something wrong? <laughs> and he said, as soon as I said, God, am I doing something wrong? Somebody threw a dead cat at me. <laughs> and he said, I looked down at that dead cat and I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I must be doing something right because some people love me and some people hate me. There's going to be some people that when you walk into Food City, they'll say, let me buy your drink. You want a Gatorade? I'll, I'll buy it. There'll be some people that when you walk into Food City, they're going to turn around and walk the other way. That comes with the territory. So how do you treat those people? The church today would say, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Instead of preaching repentance, we'll preach living your best life now. Maybe they'll love us if we change the message. Maybe they'll love us if we're more sensitive to their needs. Maybe they'll love us if we change our style. Maybe they'll love us if, if I wore skinny jeans. Maybe they'll love us if I tone it down just a, just a little bit. Maybe they'll love me more if I did things my way instead of God's way. That is the temptation of the church today. In order to get those people that hate us to like us, we change the way we do things. 
We don't preach like we used to. Repentance is a dirty word in some churches. Sin has become mess-ups. We've toned down the message to get those people that throw dead cats at us to like us. And that's not God's work and God's way. That's not God's priority. It won't have God's power and it won't have God's provision. You know what it will have? God's punishment. Look what he says. Those people that won't accept you, those people that aren't worthy, those people that will not receive you nor hear your words, he says, this is God's way. You don't bless them. You don't let your peace be upon them. You curse them. If they won't listen, if they reject, and that's the message and the miracles, if they have a hard heart and and stiff-necked, then under the authority of God himself, you reject them. This place, instead of saying God's blessing be upon you, you say God's curse be upon you. I did this one time. Not proud of it. Knocked on a, somebody's house one day. They opened the door and said, who are you? I said, I'm a preacher here in town, and I'm here to give you the gospel. He slammed the door as hard as he could in my face. It came as close to my face as it could come, and I heard him cussing, and he said, get out of here. Out of my house, off my porch, and never come back. And I didn't say, well, I better tone it down a little bit. I got to the car. He said, what are you doing, Josh? Waking us up? He says here, you leave. You leave. That's what it says. As you leave, you depart. Look what it says. I'm not making this up. And and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, you depart. You leave. Don't you stay there. Don't beat your head against the wall trying to get them. They refused it. Move on. Don't keep fishing in the hole that ain't biting. Go to another field if it's not growing. There's more houses to visit. That's what I did. I got more houses to go to. I'm not going to sit there and knock on this guy's door. He might have a gun later. There's other churches. There's a church that refuses and says no. Why should you sit here and beat your head up against the wall? If they won't listen, you leave. Don't keep planting and watering on stony ground. You leave. And when you leave, he says here, you dust your feet off. (laughs) Shake off the dust off your feet. That's what I did. That's the only time I've ever done that. Got in a car and said, I thought about taking my shoes off and holding them out the window. And as I was driving, boom, boom. (laughs) I drove by that house last time I was up that way. I wanted to hold my... It's a public... Dusting your feet is a public declaration of the displeasure of God upon that place. That's what it was. It's basically, I'm washing my hands with you. That's what he says here. And Paul did this. Acts 13.51. You don't have to turn there. I will. I've got a couple minutes. Acts 
Verse 50 says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them out of their coasts. And in verse 51, But they shook off the dust off their feet against them, and they came into a new place. I'll give you another one. You want another one? Acts 18, verse 6. They did this. Sometimes it's, it's good to put your big boy pants on and not sit and say, oh, we're going to change our message to try to reach these people. Sometimes it's good to just say, I'm washing my hands. I've given you everything that I can give you. I've preached the gospel. I've shown you with evidence. You've heard it. You've seen it. You've known it. It's right in front of your face. And if you refuse it now, I'm dusting off my feet and I'm leaving this place. That's what Paul does. Acts 18.6. Paul does this. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hand. For I am clean. I've preached the gospel to you. It's not on my hands anymore. It's on your hands. Say no more. I'm done. You've refused and there's nothing else we can do. And then it says, verse 15, and I'm closing. Verily I say unto you, because what they're doing is, God is displeased with this place. And when God sees you do that, God says, okay, I'm going to punish, punish them. Look what it says. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that place you just left. That's, how, how did it go for Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody? Anybody know that story? I think every, every one of us know that they refused, they were sinful, they were compl- and God completely and utterly wiped them off the planet. It is the symbol of God's judgment for the whole world. Whenever you hear Sodom and Gomorrah, you think, wow, God really poured down His wrath on those people. And here it says, for those who reject the message that you bring, it'll be better that you were Sodom and Gomorrah than you be in that city. That's for the people that reject then. Those were greater messengers than Sodom and Gomorrah had. They were greater, is a greater message than Sodom and Gomorrah had. Greater miracles than Sodom and Gomorrah had. So their punishment would be greater than what Sodom and Gomorrah had. So let me say this Sodom and Gomorrah had a message and they had messengers and they, and they saw a little bit. And then this group here in in Matthew, that city, they would see miracles and they would hear the message. But how about today? In America today, there is greater truth being preached than any other time in history. In this church, there's greater truth being preached than any time in history. It is open. It is clear. It's right before your eyes. And if you reject a greater revelation than they had or even Sodom and Gomorrah had, there's greater punishment on you because you rejected the greater light. The clear gospel has been preached. Here it is. The clear opportunity has been given. It's at hand. And they reject it. You'd rather be in Sodom and Gomorrah than to be in this city. And I'll take it even a step further. The way... This world is rejecting the gospel right now. You'd rather be Sodom and Gomorrah than be America. 
to be that close, to have that light, to hear that message, and still reject, it will have God's punishment. So I say this to you today. If you're here and you're not saved, you will stand before God one day and give an account. And when you stand to give an account, there's no way in this world you can say, I didn't know. That goes for everybody across this room. There's no way in this world you can stand before God and say, I didn't know. The gospel has been so clearly presented to you. It is at hand. It is in front of you. It is near that you could reach out and grab it anytime you want it. For you to sit in church like this and hear the gospel every week, week in and week out, and still reject it, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, I gave you every chance you could ever have wanted. It's not on Josh. He preached it. He told you. His hands were clean with you. He gave every bit of opportunity that you could ever have. You remember that Sunday at the end of December when he preached the gospel to you and warned you of a greater punishment than even Sodom and Gomorrah had? Do you remember that? I gave you a chance. And you sit in your seat and said, No, I will not welcome the gospel. Do you remember that? Yeah, I had the chance. Yeah, I had the opportunity. Yeah, I did. And you reject it. And he'll say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. The punishment of God will be upon you. Let me say this to you today, one more chance, with urgency and with pleading in my heart. If you're here today and there's any doubt that you are not saved, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today, now, before it's too late. Sodom and Gomorrah could happen in America like this. You better take today as the opportunity. Now, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Understand that you are a sinner and you deserve to go to hell for all eternity. But Jesus paid the price upon Calvary's cross so that you could be saved. All you have to do is to believe in him. It's in front of you. It's at hand. Reach out and grab it by faith and say, I believe in Jesus. And you can be saved. Don't put it off. Don't waste this chance. Or it will be more tolerable in Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. I'll give you another. For those of you here who are saved, turn with me to one more place. Mark 6. Verse 30. this is what happened when the trip was over <laughs> it doesn't tell this in Matthew but it's the same story in Mark 6 in verse 30 it says and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and they told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught they came back and they said here's what we've done here's how we've did it Here's our victories, here's our defeats, here's our stories. Here's what happened while we were away. They gave an account to Jesus for everything that they did. You say, what does that mean? The Bible says that every one of us as Christians will stand before Jesus one day and give an account for everything we've done in this life. Not for our sins, those have been taken care of on the cross, but how we served him. And it will be, did you do my work in my way? 
and you will tell stories of victories and you will tell stories of defeat. You'll tell stories of people who loved you and people who hated you. But the only thing that will matter in that day when you stand to give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ is did you do his work in his way? Because it matters how we do his work. And we want in that day to have God's pleasure. Well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want his displeasure. So may we in the next year, 2020, serve him God's work and God's way. So that we can stand before him one day and have God's pleasure. God's pleasing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, who's given, which has given us clear instruction on how to do your work in your way. And I pray, God, for myself that I would do it that way. I don't want to do it my way. I don't. I want to do it your way. I want to be a father the way you want me to be a father. Husband the way you want me to be a husband. A man the way you want me to be a man. I want to be a pastor the way you want me to be a pastor. I don't want to do anything my way. I want to do everything your way. And God, for this church, I pray. I know we're not perfect. We fail in so many ways. But may our aim always be to do your work in your way. And for all the people around this room here today that are Christians serving you, may that be the desire of their hearts. May we live our lives the way you want us to live them. Not my way, but God's way. May that be our goal for, for 2020, that we would serve you, God, your way. So that we can stand before you one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, if there's anybody in here who's lost, an unbeliever, may they take this opportunity now to put their faith in you once and for all. Please, God, by your spirit, bring power upon the word that has been preached. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.